Let me ask you guys something. Um, uh, uh, have you guys heard of the uh, the Black Dahlia murders? Yeah, yes. I mean, it's some basic black... bitch murdering. It's uh, yeah, it's sort of it's a very popular uh, unsolved murder in the true crime history, and sort of a very macabre story. It actually took place in Los Angeles. Mm-hmm. Um, but oh, uh, I should say something right off the bat. Sure, I'm responsible. Oh. I know that it's. It's, like it's been a mystery for a little while now. I <laughs> I should probably fess up. I'm actually 102 Damn. years old. <laughs> um, wow, Roger, you look good. Yeah, that's why I live here. That's why I live here. It's, <laughs> it's nice. But yes, we have heard of it. Well, the so you know it's it's an unsolved murder. A lot of different suspects, but I came across some information that. Uh, not me on my own, like I'm a detective. I mean, I, I read stuff and other people who did the work came up with the information that uh, a Florida man might be responsible for the Black Dahlia killings. Oh, Holy shit, it is Roger. <laughs> <laughs> yes, so uh, did a Florida man commit the Black Dahlia murder? That's, uh, that's what we're doing this week. We're going to figure it out in this next hour. All right. If there was anybody in the three of us that was a detective, it would be you, Chris. Mm-hmm. But you would be like cool detective. Right? Like <laughs> burnt you'd out. be, you'd be the uh, Philip Marlowe style. You'd be, the one, you'd be the one who looks like look at the crime scene, yeah. take a long drag off a cigarette that you basically burn the whole thing right. down and then just kind of flick it. Yeah, at the you'd body. be smoking over the body so too. Just fucking up the crime scene. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. You're like, what the fuck are you doing? Stop getting ash on the body. But you could because you were cool. I saw this in two days. You're listening to The Florida Man Murders, a true crime comedy podcast about murder, madness, mayhem, and other shady shit that goes down in the Sunshine State. Each week, your hosts, Chris, Roger, and Siege, take you on a dark, twisted journey through the bowels of the most wretched fiends and nefarious events throughout the history of Florida. And then make inane, quote-unquote, funny observations about it all, like the half-soused nitwits that they are. And now, sit back, relax, and enjoy the crazy, if you dare. Dateline, Los Angeles. Oh, January 15, 1947. It was fucking Roger. <laughs> 1947. So. Oh, I was about to do nothing but a G thing, but I guess that's a little bit after. <laughs> um, yeah, so LA resident Betty Bersinger went out for a morning stroll with her three year old daughter in their. Uh, Lamert Park neighborhood at around 10 a.m. Lamert Park. Lamert. Yep. Sorry. Lamert. Um, 
<laughs> yeah, Roger gets to correct them on the geography this episode. Yeah. This is, yeah. <laughs> so mother and daughter were walking down uh, Norton Avenue uh, when Betty spotted what looked like a discarded mannequin that had been broken in half laying in an empty lot across the street. As Betty took a closer look, she realized that it wasn't a broken mannequin at all. What she had found was the bisected corpse of a woman. Betty immediately ran to the nearest house and phoned the police. The dead woman would soon be identified as 22-year-old Elizabeth Short. Elizabeth Short was born on July 29, 1924 in the Hyde Park section of Boston. In 1942, at the age of 18, Elizabeth moved to California by herself. She said, fuck Boston. I'm going to Cal. <laughs> fuck Boston. Yeah, I was trying to get a fuck Boston in there. But you <laughs> went straight into <laughs> the movie. So. Fuck Boston. Um, when, fuck Boston. When she got to uh, California, she uh, got a few odd jobs and made a few friends she was an aspiring actress, although uh, she had no known acting jobs or credits to her name. So no IMDb page for Elizabeth Short. Unlike <laughs> John Wilkes. Did you check, though? Did you I check, did. though? I did. Wait, it's worth a check. You did check? <laughs> I did. Okay, all right. Uh, but John Wilkes Booth, he's got, he's got one. Um, <laughs> so unreal. <laughs> <laughs> this is what I'm here for, research. in 1943 a then 18 year old elizabeth was arrested in santa barbara for drinking at a local bar while underage Uh, it was the uh, fingerprints taken from this arrest that would help the fbi identify her when they found her body after her arrest the juvenile authorities sent her back to massachusetts but she went to florida instead after living in florida for a little while elizabeth moved back to the los angeles area and got a job as a waitress in a diner she rented a room behind the florentine gardens nightclub on hollywood boulevard in 1946 elizabeth began an affair with a married salesman named robert red manley nice on january 9th just a few days before her body was discovered elizabeth returned to her home in la after a brief trip to San Diego with Robert Red Manley. Chicks all over Robert the place. Manley. <laughs> it's just a, such a strong name. Robert Red Manley. Would you and like to see my Red Manley? Is it Robert Red or Red Manley? Robert Red. It's uh, Robert, quote, Red, unquote, Manley. Oh, so he's so either he's, Irish. Hey, Red. Or. Or yeah. just really sunburned. Yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. Robert Red that, Manley. Welcome back to Florida Man Names <laughs> podcast. <laughs> we analyze names and laugh about them. Robert Red Manley would go on to tell the police that he had dropped Elizabeth off at the Biltmore Hotel in downtown LA so that she could meet her sister who had been visiting from Boston. Six days later, Betty Bersinger would find Elizabeth's mutilated body. So Robert Red Manley was the last person to reportedly see Elizabeth alive. One of the main reasons the Black Dahlia murder is one of the most talked about unsolved murders in true crime history is the manner in which Elizabeth Short was killed. Her body had been split clean in half at the waist. The top and bottom of her body were positioned within about a foot of each other 
so that whoever discovered the body would unmistakably see that it had been split in half. Yeah, I, I'm, it's been a while since I looked at these photos, and it's so gnarly. It's really gnarly. The intestines had been tucked neatly behind her buttocks, so she was positioned very specifically. Pieces of flesh had been superficially cut away from her body, including parts of her thighs and breasts. A tattoo of a rose had been sliced from her thigh and placed inside her vagina. (coughs) (coughs) Vagina makes me cough. (coughs) (laughs) That's... Timing. Your cough is so violent. Is that how you normally cough? <laughs> no. <laughs> what? What, what were like you choking? Angry on? cough. I just some. I had a. You got a fucking pube tickle in my throat? throat as I was speaking. Yeah, I got a pube, and um, my god. And so, I'm trying to just describe some serious shit, and it, my throat was getting worse and worse, and then vagina did it for me. <clears throat> vagina Sorry. does it for so, me usually too vagina makes me cough a, a tattoo <laughs> of a rose had been sliced from her thigh and placed inside her vagina boom her face had been slashed at the corners of her mouth to her ears creating a Glasgow smile kind of like the, the Joker smile yeah um, <laughs> and finally the body itself had been thoroughly and completely cleaned so, as news spread of the discovery of the dead woman's body, crowds of onlookers and news reporters began to gather in the, in the lot where her body had been found. Several photos of the corpse were taken. Near the body, detectives located a partial heel print on the ground, as well as a cement sack with drops of blood on it. But that was it. Very little clues at the scene. The next day, an autopsy of Elizabeth's body was performed by the L.A. County coroner. The autopsy reported stated that there were ligature marks on her ankles, wrists, and neck. Like a serious question, though, is it like, was this, uh, was, did it seem like there was a rhyme or reason to like the patterns and stuff that they did other than the face, of course, but like, or was it just, you know, just to fuck her up? I mean, that, I think that's what makes it weird. It's like this weird mystery, the, the, the manner in which she was attacked or killed or whatever made no, I mean, so people were like, well, this person was a woman hater, but there were no signs of, of assault or rape. So it was just mutilation, but in a very specific way. Cause I'm, I'm going to be totally honest. I'm just, uh, I, I know of the black Dahlia murders to a point. And I know yeah. superficially, you know, some of the stuff that happened, but I'd, I'd never gone in depth into it as we are tonight. And so, like, yeah, I'm learning stuff here tonight <laughs> that I'm trying not to make fun of some. Yeah. You're supposed to come in well-prepared, Siege. What, uh, that's what happened? My MO. You failed. <laughs> you failed us. My preparation is cocaine. <laughs> that's all you need. Yeah, looking at the photos, it's, it's fucked up, man. Yeah. The body had been surgically cut in half using a technique taught in medical schools in the 1930s called a hemicorporectomy. The lower half of the body had been removed by slicing the lumbar spine between the second and third lumbar vertebrae. The autopsy report noted, quote, very little bruising along the incision line, suggesting it had been performed after death 
by a surgical expert. By somebody who knew what they were doing, yeah. Yeah. The skull was not fractured, but there was bruising noted on the right front side of her scalp with a small amount of bleeding on the right side, which is consistent with blows to the head. And the cause of death was determined to be hemorrhaging from the lacerations of her face and the shock from blows to the head and face. So at least it seems like uh, they waited to cut her in half until afterwards, because that was a part that was... uh concerning me a bit there yeah the only thing that some people say is that the the slicing her face may have happened while she was still alive and they sliced the smile on her mouth fucking joker smile yeah um fluid samples were taken from her body and sent away for testing for the presence of sperm but the results came back negative Uh, Since the body had been already washed clean, LAPD detectives concluded that Elizabeth must have been killed at another location before being dumped in Limerick Park. In the following weeks, the strange and macabre murder was all over the news, newspapers, and gossip magazines. Most of the headlines and stories were sensationalized by the press. Some said that Elizabeth was a prostitute, which she was not. Others claimed that she liked to tease men because she was a lesbian which was not true. Like coming up for with excuses already. Like what the hell is that all about? It's like, oh, this woman must have been doing it. I'm guessing a lot of that was LA Times and yeah. LA Times is notoriously a fucking piece of shit. The LA Times and the LA Examiner Newspaper. were like big, big, big ones that were pushing all this weird shit. On the day Elizabeth's body was identified by investigators, a team of LA Examiner newspaper reporters called her mother in Boston to verify personal information about Elizabeth even though her mother had no idea that Elizabeth was even dead. Unfucking real In order to get any uh, information or verify the info from the mother, the reporters told her that her daughter Elizabeth had won a beauty contest. What? <laughs> yeah. Once they got all the information they needed from the mother, they finally told her the truth that her daughter had, in fact, been found dead. She won a contest. Yeah, let's get all our home info. Yeah, this is great. Oh, yeah. oh she did? <laughs> By the Congratulations, way, ma'am. she had been cut in half and left in a field. Yeah. <laughs> She's been cut in half. Bye. Click. Jesus. See, when when Roger was saying that, like, LA Times is a real piece of shit, I was about to say, like, you know what? This is 1947. What the fuck do you know about the LA Times in 1947? <laughs> you know what? You were you were right. I can admit when I was wrong. Yeah. <laughs> Listen, when, you know, when I was reading the newspapers back then about the murder I committed, <laughs> I was like, you know, these guys could be a little better. Like, they seem to be kind of jerks. And, uh, all right. Uh, <clears throat> no, but they have like a long history here of yeah being very uh, pro-establishment, pro-rich, racist, yeah. etc. Goes on and on. The newspaper then offered to pay Elizabeth's mother airfare and accommodations if she would travel to LA to help with the police investigation. But that was also a load of bullshit because the paper actually kept her from speaking to the police in order to protect their scoop. So they flew her to L.A. to isolate her so she wouldn't talk to anyone so they could be the ones to be like, we found who that Black Dahlia is. It's Elizabeth Short. We had it first. Yeah. Yeah, see? The uh, L.A. Examiner would go on to write several articles about the case, 
most of which describe the murderer as a, quote, sex fiend slaying. Of course, because there was no evidence of sex. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, even though there was absolutely no evidence of sexual assault or anything like that. One report claimed that Elizabeth, quote, knew at least 50 men at the time of her death and at least 25 men had been seen with her in the 60 days preceding her death. She was known as a teaser of men. Listen, that was a real I know 50 men <laughs> and I wouldn't necessarily call myself a teaser of men. You know how many men I've been oh, seen shit. with in the last like week? <laughs> <laughs> no, teaser men teaser is of uh, men. really bad. <laughs> yeah, that's as bad as it gets back in 1947. Oh shit. Another article described the <laughs> another article described the black tailored suit Elizabeth had supposedly been wearing uh, the last time she was seen alive. It was described as a quote, tight black skirt and sheer blouse. The article what? description led the media to give Elizabeth the headline grabbing nickname The Black Dahlia. There was also a popular noir movie out in theaters at the time called The Blue Dahlia, starring Veronica Lake. Ooh, Veronica Lake. Uh, so the press <laughs> went with Black Dahlia, and the name stuck. Don't get Chris started on an old-timey movie. <laughs> Ingenues. <laughs> this guy gets uh, rock hard. Uh, Veronica Lake, let me tell you. Yeah, don't get a reader worth it. <laughs> um, is she your number one from back then? You'd say she's up there. Veronica she's up Lake. There. She's yeah, smoke show. All right. Um, yeah. So that's where the Black Dahlia name came from. Those two things. Oh, Chris has a type. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So the press went with Black Dahlia, and the name stuck. And just like that, an unknown young woman who had worked at a diner was transformed into the Black Dahlia. A starstruck girl from a small East Coast town who moved to L.A. and turned into a Hollywood harlot. (laughs) It's a classic story. (laughs) Uh, A week after the L.A. Examiner printed their story identifying Elizabeth Short as the victim, the paper's editor received a mysterious phone call from a man claiming to be the Black Dahlia killer. The man congratulated Richardson on the paper's coverage of the case. The man also told Richardson that he would soon turn himself in, but not before allowing authorities to pursue him a little more. Before ending the call, the man told Richardson to, quote, expect some souvenirs of Beth Short in the mail. That's fucked up. Three days later, a suspicious manila envelope was discovered by a U.S. Postal Service worker that had been addressed to the L.A. Examiner and other L.A. papers. Uh, This was spelled out with letters that had been cut and pasted from newspaper clippings. A message on the front of the envelope read, quote, Here is Dahlia's belongings. Letter to follow. The envelope had been carefully wiped down with gasoline to eliminate fingerprints. And inside the envelope, cops found Elizabeth's birth certificate, business cards, photographs, names of acquaintances written on pieces of paper, and address book with a name embossed on the cover and the name on the address book was mark hansen who the fuck is mark hansen (laughs) 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 who the fuck is mark hansen first time he mentions the name who the fuck is mark hansen uh 
I'm I'm getting <laughs> just, to that. Just, I, just listen to the story, man. <laughs> listen, <laughs> I'm very concerned. Are you listening it? to the dude's story? <laughs> uh, Darth Vader comes in in Star Wars. Who the fuck is this guy in the dark suit? <laughs> yeah, I have so many questions, and I don't want to interrupt. Like, let Who it the play fuck out. is Darth Vader? <laughs> Why is the post office delivering envelopes that smell like gasoline? Because the killer is smart and he's wiping shit down with gasoline. It's the 40s, man. Like, you know, letters with cut out letters <laughs> on them, like ransom style. You know, this is all part of the, the game back then, dude. So a couple of weeks after that letter, another letter arrived, and this one was handwritten and read, quote, here it is, turning self in Wednesday, January 29, 10 a.m., had my fun at police, signed Black Dahlia Avenger. <laughs> Who the fuck is the Black Dahlia Avenger? <laughs> <laughs> why, why does he write like an idiot? The letter included a location of where cops could go, and LAPD waited at the appointed time and place, but the man never showed. This guy's just toying with them, whoever he is. Whether he be the murderer or not, he's really fucking with them. A third letter arrived a few days after that that read, quote, Have changed my mind. You would not give me a square deal. Dahlia killing was justified. The author or the caller, whoever this person was, was never heard from again. Two months later, on March 14th, cops were alerted to an apparent suicide note that had been found by a lifeguard. The note was tucked in a shoe in a pile of men's clothing on Venice Beach. The note read, quote, To whom it may concern, I have waited for the police to capture me for the Black Dahlia killing, but have not. I am too much of a coward to turn myself in, so this is the best way out for me. I couldn't help myself for that, or this. Sorry, Mary. That's interesting. Hmm. Yeah. That's <laughs> Mary. Who the fuck's Who Mary? Who the fuck is Mary? <laughs> Who the fuck is this lifeguard? <laughs> Why is it named <laughs> Venice Beach? podcast listener. Just imagine him driving to work, <laughs> listening to names come up. Who the fuck's that? <laughs> The clothes that uh, the men, the cops found included a blue tweed coat and pants, brown and white T-shirt, tan socks, tan leisure shoes, and a pair of white jockeys. Hmm. Kind of a, you know, casual dresser. I, I like his, his, you know, style there. It sounds very beachy. If he walked into the, wa- into the ocean, he walked in naked because he left his jockeys that's, behind. You know, that's a tell- telltale sign right there that maybe somebody did. Commit suicide. Usually when they take their clothes off, they mean business. That's what I've heard. It means fucking. It does mean fucking as well, in a different context. Yes, very different context. (laughs) Maybe you wanted to fuck a shark. I'd fuck a shark. Over time, the LAPD assigned 750 investigators to the case and interviewed more than 150 potential suspects linked to the Black Dahlia killing. They had 750 investigators? It was probably all of them. It's the entire police force. But <laughs> I was going to say, that's all them. they're doing is just the Black Dahlia. Boy, she's a white woman. All hands on deck. 
<laughs> Young white woman. Come on. <laughs> so they had 150 potential suspects, and they heard more than 60 different unsolicited confessions. But in all, three names have stood out over the years, and here are the three main suspects discussed and written about over the years. <laughs> Uh-oh. Siege. Wait till the end. Who the fuck is <laughs> Wait till the end, please. Let him say the names. The f- I want to do it for each the one. First, I want to do it for the each first one. suspect is going to blow your minds. Ah. Mark Hansen. Who the fuck <laughs> is Mark Hansen? The name found on the address book in the LA Examiner or received in the mail. Mark Hansen was a wealthy Hollywood nightclub and theater owner. He was known to have ties and friendships with the underworld and gangsters such as Bugsy Siegel. Um, and because of this, the LAPD's gangster squad was assigned to the Black Dahlia case. Hanson was friends with Elizabeth and allowed her to live in one of his apartments near his nightclub uh, with his girlfriend. Elizabeth called Hanson when she was on her trip in San Diego with uh, Red Manley. Nobody knows what that conversation really was about, but it made Mark Hansen one of the last known people to have spoken to her. The L.A. County District Attorney's files indicate that Hansen made contradictory statements to authorities about the nature of this phone call. The DA files also had a report that Hansen had tried to seduce Elizabeth, but his advances were rebuffed. Mm. She's a teaser of men. Because <laughs> she's a teaser of men. Hansen was also known to be chummy with cops often holding elaborate parties at his Hollywood boarding house with members of the LAPD, including the chief of detectives. Suspect number two is Dr. George Hodel, or Hodel. I'm going to go with Hodel. Who the fuck is Dr. George Hodel? Dr. George Hodel was a well-dressed, mustachioed man Who lived in the famous Soden House. Soden House? Roger, are you familiar with the Soden House? Not familiar. So call it whatever the fuck you want, man. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> the uh, the Soden House is located in Los Feliz. Los Feliz, um, yeah. That, they, call, Los, they call it Los Feliz here, which is stupid, whatever. It's Feliz. The word is happy. I know. I, I, I agree. I concur. Don't but yeah, yeah. Right. I've lost the battle. <laughs> I gave up. <laughs> it was built in 1926 by Lloyd Wright, Frank Lloyd Wright's son. Ah. So he's just Lloyd Wright, no Frank. Mm. Um, it's known for its unique Mayan temple-like design. And some have called it the Jaws house because the front of the house looks like the open jaws of a great white shark. Oh, wait, what's it called again? The nice. Soudan house, S. O W D E N house. Uh, no, yeah, okay. Hmm. Um, and it was placed on a list of registered historic places in LA in 1971. So it's still there. Um, over the years, there have been reports that cadaver dogs had indicated the presence of human remains on the property, but no excavations have ever been made on the house. Uh, Dr. Hodel was a Black Dahlia suspect for several reasons. First of all, he was an exceptional surgeon. He had expert knowledge of human anatomy. <laughs> okay. Um, he was also a decadent... First we got the guy who's friends with ghosts. And now we got the guy <laughs> Nobody's friends with ghosts. Really good. Nobody in this episode. I'm friends with ghosts. You are, yes, but none of the suspects. Wow. 
He was also a decadent socialite in the mold of a Jackie Treehorn. <laughs> my big Lebowski friends out there. Uh, he often hobnobbed with movie directors and artists who experimented with surreal sadomasochistic art. He loved to throw lavish parties. He was a heavy drinker and a big-time womanizer. And also, he was a piece-of-shit pedophile monster. In 1949, Odell's 14-year-old daughter accused him of rape. Three witnesses came forward and corroborated her story. Yet despite this, after acquiring expensive defense attorneys, Hodel was acquitted. Jesus Christ, three witnesses. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, Hodel was also at one point considered a suspect in the death of his secretary. The secretary apparently overdosed on some pills in her house, and he was allegedly present uh-huh. when this happened, and also burnt some papers of hers before calling the cops. Nothing to see here. Uh, it was this incident as well as his rape trial that caught the attention of the LAPD. So authorities placed surveillance equipment in Hodel's home and caught him saying some incriminating shit one day uh, to a person visiting him, said Hodel, quote, Supposing I did kill the Black Dahlia. They couldn't prove it now. They can't talk to my secretary anymore because she's dead. They thought there was something fishy. Anyway, now they may have figured it out. Killed her. Maybe I did kill my secretary. <laughs> Sounds just like so Jesus Christ. Uh, and finally, we have our third suspect. No, that, guy, that guy was innocent. For the last guy, Hodel? He was a doctor. He couldn't yeah. harm people. Yeah, he took a He's He's most people's favorite suspect. He seems pretty horrible. Yeah, I was going to say, he definitely did it. But because this is, this is Florida Man Murders Podcast, we're going with this guy. Our third suspect, Florida Man, Leslie Dillon. Who the fuck is Leslie Dillon? <laughs> Uh, Leslie Dwayne Dillon was born on July 4th, 1921 in Ralston, Oklahoma. As a young man, Leslie moved back and forth between L.A. and Miami, though he lived in Miami most of the time. He worked as a bellhop and as a mortician's assistant. Two very, very different jobs. (laughs) One you talk to a bunch of people, the other one you talk to nobody. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and he often told people to call him Jack Sands. Okay. Just call me Jack Sands. In October of 1948, over a year after Elizabeth's murder, Leslie found the name of an LAPD psychiatrist named Dr. J. Paul DeRiver. Who the fuck is J. Paul DeRiver? While reading an article. <laughs> doctor to you. Sorry, doctor sorry, guys. Dr. J. Paul DeRiver. He's a doctor. He's okay. Yeah. A little respect. Uh, he found the name while reading an article about the Black Dahlia killings in that month's issue of True Detective magazine. The article described <laughs> Dr. DeRiver as a sex expert and quoted him extensively. So Leslie tracked down DeRiver's office and wrote him a letter from Miami. I unfortunately do not have that letter. Oh, you <laughs> son of a bitch. Right off the bat. Oh. <laughs> um, no, no letter from DeRiver. Or Jack Sands to deliver, right? But right, but we do know what the letter was about. Uh, Leslie wrote it under the name Jack Sands, 
Uh, and in the letter, he discussed an intense interest in sadism and sexual violence. He justified these creepy facts by claiming he was writing a book about the Black Dahlia case. He also added his own theories of the killings, offering up a friend of his named Jeff Connors as a possible suspect cops should consider. <laughs> Yo, my friend Jeff, you should really fucking look into this guy. <laughs> Who the fuck's Jeff Connors? <laughs> You have to edit out, edit out so many of those. <laughs> There's another one. Well, the letter prompted Doctor DeRiver to call Leslie, and the two spoke on the phone. And the more they spoke, the more Doctor DeRiver believed that Jeff Connor was a figment of Leslie's imagination, and DeRiver began to believe that Leslie might be the murderer because he's a little weird. This bellhop mortician's assistant <laughs> with the with the different name than <laughs> different his name. actual name right jack sands jack sands um, it's me jack sands <laughs> hey doctor it's jack sands a couple of months later leslie agreed to meet with dr deriver and was given the choice of one of three cities to meet la phoenix or las vegas leslie expressed reservations about la so he chose las vegas this whole investigation is very strange why are they giving him choices like we can be in la we can be in Phoenix. We can be in Las Vegas. Whatever you want to do. How much money did the cops, like, tax like, money they spend on this, this fucking stupid <laughs> circus? Yeah. We, I so want like, 750 of my best men on this one murder. <laughs> we're going to Vegas, boys. And we're going to Vegas, boys. Uh, your choice, Phoenix. <laughs> yeah, La La Land. Or Sin City. <laughs> just wanted to go fucking have vacation. So DeRiver convinced the LAPD to send Leslie money for a flight from Miami and to book him in a hotel in Vegas. You think you want to defund the police now? <laughs> You've been around in 1947. These guys were fucking swimming in it. Dr. DeRiver would, uh, would travel with some undercover cops to meet Leslie in Vegas. And once they met, Leslie told DeRiver that his name was not in fact, Jack Sands, but Leslie Dillon. In Leslie's hotel room, DeRiver began interrogating him. And while DeRiver seemed to be on the right track and had good intentions, he often got in his own way and at times just botched his own investigation. For example, here's an actual transcript from an interview with Leslie that DeRiver secretly recorded. What do you think the killer did with the hair he shaved off the private parts of the body of Elizabeth Short? <laughs> I think the killer, such as he was, would probably have thrown the hair into a toilet and flushed it. <laughs> what do you think a killer, such as he was, would do with the piece of flesh from the tattoo on it after he cut it off her thigh? Well... I think he would probably have thrown that down the toilet and flushed it. You are the one who murdered Elizabeth Short. Dr. DeRiver, the trouble with this is that you first reach your own conclusions about this case, and then you try to dig up things to prove that your conclusions are correct. What do you think I am, a child? What do you mean by talking to me this way? I am a person who's been around. So essentially, <laughs> essentially what's happening here is he's 
leading on the wind, the, uh, the, the perp, and then just outright blurts out, you're the one who killed her. <laughs> Leslie likes flushing shit down the toilet. That's what we know. He, he likes, he just keeps saying he flushed shit down the toilet. And then he just confronts him. He's like, you're the one who murdered her. And he's like, well, you know, this is a problem. You reach this conclusion and then you try to dig up for things to prove your own conclusions. Like he's, Leslie's got him. And then DeRiver loses his shit. And he's like, who do you think I am? A child? <laughs> well, how are you talking to me this way? I've been around. I wonder how many body parts he's actually flushed down the toilet at his mortician job. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. So as you can see, the whole thing was fucking stupid. Um, it's it's not clear why. It's not clear why the everyone's other... just dicking around. With this whole murder thing. Nobody's taking this like, thing fucking. They're taking vacations. They're spending money, taxpayer money, high, like overtime. Yeah, I like... mean they're allowing the doctor to conduct the interrogation rather than the cops doing it. What the fuck were the yeah. cops doing? They're at the blackjack table. Uh, the river, you handle this, all right? Uh, me and uh, Perkins, we're gonna go down to the casino. If and, I call LAPD yeah. today, if, would they fly me out if I said I had some information on the Black Dahlia? Can we meet up in Vegas? <laughs> yeah, free trip to Vegas. You probably would. <laughs> yeah, wherever you fucking want. So, yeah, after a few hours of going back and forth with Leslie, uh, Leslie agreed to go to San Francisco with the river and the LAPD to find his friend, Jeff Connor. So now they're going to San Francisco, <laughs> but uh, they did not find Jeff Connors. Had no luck in finding him. But Leslie seemed to know a lot about the Elizabeth Short murder. He seemed to offer up intimate details that only investigators seemingly knew about. Uh, details that were never released to the public, such as the tattoo that was removed. The river had a theory that Leslie suffered from schizophrenia and that he had very unhealthy feelings towards sex. After their trip to San Francisco, cops took Leslie back to L.A. and booked him into a hotel for further questioning. <laughs> You know, you know who the real victim is here? The taxpayers of Los Angeles Some County. fucking accounting... <laughs> some schlub in the in fucking accounting department that's having to reconcile all these expenses. He's <laughs> got a pencil in his ear. Little green yeah, he's like, I, I, How am I supposed to... Yeah, you have any exactly. receipts or anything, Phil? <laughs> yeah, Vegas, San Francisco, LA, hotels... <laughs> What the hell's going on here? <laughs> uh, this kill is impossible to track down. What can I tell you? <laughs> Leaving no stone unturned, Christ. boys. <laughs> yeah, the real, like Steve said, the real victim is fucking the American, the LA taxpayer. Oh, man. No wonder my fucking property taxes are through the roof. They're so fucking paying for this shit. Yeah, you're still paying, you're still still paying, paying for, for that it. shit, man. <laughs> So while uh, in L.A., Leslie purchased a postcard in the hotel lobby, and he took it back to his room. In the postcard, he wrote a plea for help. He addressed the postcard to famed L.A. attorney Jerry Geisler. Geisler was sort of the Johnny Cochran of the day. He was known for defending both famous and infamous clients like Bugsy Siegel and Charlie Chaplin. He helped a movie producer do less prison time for shooting his wife. Oh, and he was the attorney that got Dr. George Hodel acquitted from his rape and molestation charges. In his postcard, uh, Leslie wrote, quote, I am being held in room 21921 Strand Hotel, phone extension 3101, 
in connection with the Black Dahlia murder by Dr. J. Paul D. River, as far as I can tell. Why would you put that on a postcard <laughs> so everybody that it passes through can see all of the information? <laughs> he concluded by writing, I would like legal counsel signed Mr. Leslie Dillon. But Leslie then placed a postage stamp on the postcard and then flung it out the hotel window. <laughs> <laughs> That's how it works. That's how it works. Yeah. A carrier pigeon would come by and snatch it up and then fly it, like read the address, make sure it's like correct. It shows you the level of fucks given by everybody involved in this poor woman's fucking halfing. Jesus. I know. It's just so bad. It's so bad. He just fucking flew, threw it out the window, flung it out the window. Uh, some dude who happened to be walking by the hotel that day found the postcard. Just found it on the ground. <laughs> <laughs> he read it, as Siege alluded to, picked it up, read it, and then immediately took it to the press. So now the newspapers know everything. So, meanwhile, cops soon discovered that Jeff Connors did actually exist but that his what? real name was Artie Lane. That guy? <laughs> Howard Stern's Artie Man, Lane. That guy is old. <laughs> Cocaine God. makes you live forever. Artie Lane had lived in Los Angeles at the time of the murder and worked as a maintenance man at Columbia Studios, which was reported where like Elizabeth hung out a lot to try to get movie parts. But investigators had nothing more to tie Artie Lane to the Black Dahlia murder. Moreover, LAPD were forced to release Leslie after the reports came out uh, from the postcard and because they had lack of evidence. After he was let go, Leslie filed a $100,000 claim against the city of Los Angeles, but then immediately dropped the lawsuit after it was discovered that he was wanted by Santa Monica police for robbery. Ugh, shocking. A cost-saving measure. <laughs> Bill Santa Monica, too. The Leslie Dillon story eventually ran in the papers. Uh, the LA Times reported on how the LAPD had botched the investigation. The article led to a grand jury investigation of police handling of the entire Black Dahlia case, as well as some other unsolved murders. So this whole thing blew up in their face. Um, but we were sparing no expense. <laughs> Leslie, meanwhile, immediately left L.A. and returned to family in Oklahoma. But it turns out that a former member of the gangster squad believed that not only was Leslie Dillon guilty, but he had been prematurely released on the request of our first suspect, Mark Hansen. Mm. Who the come fuck closer. is Mark Hansen? As we saw earlier, Hansen was a wealthy club and theater owner, and according to at least one report, had many members of the captains of the LAPDs in his pocket. According to a Rolling Stone article, Buzz Williams, a retired member of the Long Beach Police Department, said that his father, Richard Williams, had served on the LAPD gangster squad. Buzz told Rolling Stone that he would go on fishing trips with his father and his LAPD buddies, and then on those trips, Buzz would overhear his father and the others discussing the Black Dahlia case. He remembers them talking about how they believed Leslie had orchestrated the murder with two men, 
Mark Hansen, and a mysterious figure named Jeff Connors. Dun, dun, dun. According to crime writer uh, Pew Eatwell, Elizabeth had at one point stayed with Mark Hansen for a handful of nights in his home. When Hansen was originally interrogated, he admitted to knowing Elizabeth, but like just as an acquaintance. According to Hansen's girlfriend, on January 2nd, 1947, Elizabeth had written to her asking for money. A few days later, two men visited Elizabeth where she was staying in her apartment, and Elizabeth's roommate at the time said that she appeared scared and panicky because of the visit. She did not want to answer the door and declined to see the visitors, so the roommate didn't get a chance to look at them. So two people visited her, freaked her out, but the roommate had no idea who they were. One theory for Hanson's motive to have killed her says that while staying with Hanson, Elizabeth had inadvertently uncovered his scheme, Hanson was plotting to steal money from some banks. And the other theory was simply that he wanted her killed because he wanted to bang her, and she was like, nah, I'm good. Um, so Hanson supposedly called on Leslie Dillon, Florida man, to, to quote, take care of her without realizing just how deranged Leslie really was. And because Leslie Dillon had worked as a, you heard his voice, (laughs) you all heard his voice. He sounds crazy. And because Leslie had worked as a mortician's assistant, it's plausible that he knew how to bleed a body dry and perform a bisection Hey, yeah, yeah. So uh, Leslie Dillon had been known to frequent the Astor Motel whenever he stayed in L.A. On the morning of January 15, 1947, the day Elizabeth's body was discovered, the owner of the Astor Motel opened the door to one of his cabins and found the room, quote, covered in blood and fecal matter. In another cabin, he discovered that someone had left a bundle of women's clothing stuffed in brown paper, which was stained with blood. I mean, regular night in L.A., baby. It's just another <laughs> night in Tinseltown. But because the motel owner had been arrested before on domestic violence charges, he decided not to call the cops, and instead he cleaned the room up himself. According to uncorroborated eyewitness reports, some witnesses claim to have seen a woman who resembled Elizabeth at the motel shortly before the murder. When Leslie was released by the LAPD, he immediately flew to Oklahoma, and it turns out Leslie was a cousin of the of then Oklahoma's governor. It's likely that Leslie's possible relationships with the governor, as well as Mark Hansen's grip on the LAPD, allowed both men to get away with the murder of Elizabeth Short. You know... I've heard a lot about Black Black Dahlia murder, you know? Yeah. And it's just, like, actually hearing it in detail, it's insane, like, how convoluted it is. Oh, it's crazy. It's fucking legitimately nuts. Like so crazy. So many people involved. It's, it's like, perfect murder, perfect timing. Yeah. Just perfect amount of, like, weird characters involved that could have possibly done it. It really is. Mm. Quite and there's vexing. so many other suspects that we're not even covering on this one. Just these are the three main ones, but they're like, I mean, yeah, like I'm seeing on the list here, Woody Guthrie, yeah, Orson Welles, like what the fuck, yeah, yeah, yeah. Multiple theories have emerged since, including that Woody Guthrie killed her. 
<clears throat> Orson Welles, like you said, was also three out of this. <laughs> Who the fuck is Woody Guthrie? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So in the end, uh, the Black Dahlia murder remains unsolved, and as we just mentioned, some very outlandish uh, theories are out there. Um, as for the main suspects, Doctor George Hodel returned from the Philippines to the United States in 1990 because when he was accused of this, he took off. Left the country. Um, once back, <laughs> not 18, not suspicious at all. <laughs> You're like, ah, that guy is like the fucking the 1947 Jeffrey Epstein. He went to like, what's the farthest country I can get to? The Philippines sounds lovely. <laughs> Cops are like, we'd uh, love to he, vacation there. So, what do you want to go? <laughs> yeah, he returned back in 1990, and once he was back, he remarried his fourth wife and bought a home in San Francisco where he remained for the rest of his life. He died in 1999 at the age of 91. Mark Hansen died of natural causes in 1964, and no charges were ever brought against him. In 1957, Leslie Dillon died in a car accident on the Vegas Strip after his taxi was struck by another car near the Riviera Hotel. Hmm. That sounds Very suspicious. suspicious. In 2004, Dr. DeRiver's daughter published a book called The Curse of the Black Dahlia, in which she expressed her belief that her father had been unfairly treated following the Leslie Dillon investigation. Oh, whatever. Your well, dad was all been a <laughs> fucking <laughs> dipshit. He fucked up the interrogation. You don't need to write a whole book about it. Yeah. Uh, I'm not a child. So... <laughs> I've been around. What? What does that even mean? <laughs> Shut up. The river. Uh, you killed her, didn't you? The question remains, was a Florida man the Black Dahlia murder? You, listener, you decide. See, now I think... Now I think he is. Uh, yeah, I kind of think he is. Yeah? Dude, that car crash situation is... Very suspicious. Somebody covering up that, <clears throat> like yeah. closing some ends. The uh, corrupt cop that Adam killed. Yeah, a lot, a lot of ways, a lot of ways it can go. Especially since you were like, yeah. Especially since you were like, yeah, that she's killed, and now like basically you go dispose of her. But no, I'm not going to dispose of her. I'm just going to cut her in half <laughs> and just leave her and in, like yeah. leave her in a mm -hmm. field. I will say, Dr. Hodel's... I couldn't fit her down the toilet. Dr. Hodel's son thinks his father did it. He, like, wrote a whole book about it. Um, he got into detail. Well, he probably killed a bunch of other people. That's what he says. He's, he got into details about his father was a super creep, raped his sister, and probably killed other women and had them buried in this uh, house, this weird house in L.A. So that's his theory. His own son thinks his father... Is the guy. So, a lot of weird shit to get into with this Black Dahlia stuff. But, there's a Florida connection, Real. which is not surprising. Um, and there you have it. Of course. There always is. We wouldn't want to let anybody down and not be involved in the Black Dahlia murder. Sources for this episode, uh, the main stuff I got from Black Dahlia, Red Rose... The Crime, Corruption, and Cover-Up of America's Greatest Unsolved Murder by Pew Eatwell. Also, Severed, 
The True Story of the Black Dahlia Murder by Stephen Gilmore. The Crime Book by Kathy Scott. Rolling Stone article has the Black Dahlia murder finally been solved by Lara Barcella and the super helpful and elaborate website, theblackdahliainhollywood.com. Those are the sources. All right. Thank you, sources. Sources. I saw some book here that had like, oh, Exquisite Corpse. That's the title. Yeah, is that the uh, is that the one that was laying in Key West? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the corpse bride of corpse Key bride. West. We hid in a plane. <clears throat> oh, corpse bride! One of our most popular bride. episodes. That one shot up to the top. Uh, it's a good one. I mean, it's, it's a good one. Were, Sex fiend slaying. That's uh, because you have a. Amazing German accent. Yeah, it was totally his German accent. Man, this poor woman, fucking sex fiend slaying. Like they just told yeah. shit all over her. Horrible. Yeah, now she's just kind of forgotten. She's just this weird corpse, and it, you know, it sucks. She's a teaser of men. Yeah. <laughs> She's a teaser of men. <laughs> Thank you, LA Examiner Times. Oh, man. By the way, she's won a contest. Yeah. Let's fly a mother out here. Uh, that was fucked up. Oh. Hmm. Can you identify the body for $500? <laughs> Fucking carnival barker. <laughs> Uh, all right. Good shit. Yeah. Man. Man. Fucking. Uh, I don't even know. I, I don't even know how I feel I, about that. I want to like put my. Well, I'm on, glad to like finally learn the details about it because I've just only <clears throat> sort of glanced at yeah. it previously. Well, you like, you know, just that she was a mutilated corpse and it was unsolved. Yeah. But to know. And now you're out here on the case. <laughs> now we're on the case, fellas. And I'm gonna yeah, I... build the LAPD for our time tonight. <laughs> Three hundred dollars yeah, an hour. We're gonna have it's a fast. There's a lot of podcasts out there about it too. So yeah, no one wants to get into it, but it's a really fascinating true crime story with no real answers. We should start a true crime podcast. We should. A serious one. (laughs) The Florida Man Murders is a five-reason sports production. Researched, written, and produced by Chris Joseph. Music by Roger Rimada. All source material can be found by visiting floridamanmurders.com. Thank you for listening. And remember, kids, only assholes murder. So, don't be an asshole.